Okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Python People podcast, um, the home for global technology leaders to uh, share insights with the tech community. And uh, this week, I'd like to offer a, a warm welcome to Ben Lakey. Uh, so Ben um, is the co-founder and CEO of uh, Cindy Health, who are an exciting um, digital health platform uh, that's providing uh, bespoke healthcare solutions for the mental health space. Um, so Ben, thanks for being here with us today. How how the devil are you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, not a problem at all. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess without without further ado, uh, Ben, I think you know it's fair to say you've had a you know from our first meeting. I think you've had a really interesting story uh, so far as an entrepreneur and um, you know leader of different sort of tech related businesses so uh, yeah we thought it'd be real value there to to share a bit about your journey you know your kind of learnings as an entrepreneur but also here you know a bit more about your uh, your great work that you're doing with uh, with Cindy Health as a business as well so I guess as a starter for 10 if you could maybe give us a bit of an overview of your background and your uh, you know your career uh, bio to date that would be that would be great. Absolutely. Um, can't say I, I grew up thinking I wanted to be an entrepreneur and a founder and one of those people that really fell into it, went through a lot of things growing up and a lot of uh, things within my career after university that's kind of led me into this uh, awesome opportunity. Uh, I grew up in Canada, in Alberta, um, really interested in, in building things and how things worked and thought mechanical engineering was the kind of best place to to get into that. So studied mechanical engineering at the University of Alberta, did the co-op degree, which meant um, four years of academic work and also 18-month uh, work terms. I did three of those in Alberta and two of those in um, Berlin and California. And those ones in Berlin and California were very centered around actually making things that help people, biomedical engineering. I graduated in 2015 and... At that time, the, the market in Alberta was quite uh, a roller coaster. Um, the industry revolved around oil and gas, where I was from, and I really fell into that. So I worked in large-scale project management for two years in the Canadian oil sands, fly in, fly out, week on, week off. Um, not the best place for your mental health by any means, but it got me into a really exciting role, a high-stress and high-responsibility role, managing people, managing projects, managing schedules. But I was always interested in going back to that thing that, that I had a, a brief experience with is actually making things that help people. And, and the oil and gas industry wasn't exactly that place. Everyone else in my family is a PhD clinician uh, or um, a nurse um, helping people all the time. So it wasn't too exciting and rewarding really going back at Christmas and talking about what I was doing uh, in, in the industry. So to get out of that industry and into the biomedical space, I came over to London in 2015, or sorry, 2017, to study medical device design and entrepreneurship at Imperial College. Very niche course, all about going through the, the clinical trial processes, regulatory approvals, IP protection, go to market, and really fundraising for medical device companies. I was researching myoelectric prosthetic control, so the control systems for robotic hands. This was really, really exciting in the laboratories. Um, my sister's an amputee, which I was interested in that space, but they weren't too useful in the real world. It was like putting new um, rims on a Ferrari, upgrading these 50,000 pound prosthetics that four to five people in the UK can get each year with a, another degree of freedom. It, it wasn't that impactful, um, but it really opened my eyes up to the space of, again, building and um, manufacturing and selling products that can help people. 
So off the back end of that master's, uh, I met another student at Imperial College who was researching these low-cost prosthetics, so direct consumer, medically approved, um, really was the vision. We founded a company called Mitt Wearables, which ended up being just that, the first FDA-approved and C-marked prosthetic hand that could be sold and fit direct to consumers. So that was a, a really awesome uh, first few years of my entrepreneurial career and, again, really kind of fell into it. I, I loved the space, um, one with my sister's background and the um, research that I was doing at Imperial. And it was yeah, a roller coaster, uh, more more good days than bad, but really taught me a lot about that founding experience, hiring people, raising investment, uh, building a company and a product that, again, could really make an impact in people's lives. But that industry, uh, it was quite tough. The market is quite small in the UK. Manufacturing is really difficult in supply chains, and especially heading into 2020 when all those got disrupted. Um, started thinking about what to do next. And as I was going through that up and down process and building the company and, and managing uh, those relationships, one of my mentors uh, who I met through Imperial College said, oh, you should talk to someone. Um, Go to, the, go to your clinician, ask for help. And at that time, I thought, um, I don't need that. I'm a man. I'm big. I'm tough. <laughs> um, finally went to my GP, and that was the the big step for me where, okay, I've done it. I've asked for help. Things are going to be all good here. But I was placed on a 10-month waiting list, and, and in that 10 months, there was no monitoring, no support, no digital health options offered to me. It was just a black hole. So that really opened my eyes up to the, the space that I'm in now. These wait lists and this digital health revolution, all these services that I was hearing about in that time of need, in that pathway, they're nowhere to be found. So that's when I made the decision, okay, first time founder, company, you know, was doing well, but it didn't seem like the best fit for me. Um, linked a lot about the co-founder relationship, the importance of that. And I thought, yeah, it's time for me to, to take all those learnings and try something new. But this was in 2020. Uh, there wasn't too much in-person networking to find a t another technical co-founder. So I joined Entrepreneur First, which is like a co-founder speed dating type accelerator here in London. And I met a, a awesome, awesome uh, co-founder there who's a developer, a data scientist, got a master's in AI. He can do all the things that I can't do. We really complement each other really well. And he had a similar experience to myself going through the, the counseling services in university, waiting four months for counseling, having four sessions with four different people. And then being told to go back to his GP, being prescribed antidepressants, and just kind of told to get on with it. So we got together, um, thinking about our experiences and our backgrounds, about how can we build an impactful company in this space. Um, software we, we saw as the future, this digital health revolution that had potential, but there was a missing piece. And that missing piece that we found from talking to more people like us and clinicians and the actual digital health service companies instead a way to actually find, utilize, and pay for these digital health services, figuring out which ones are right for which people at which stage in their journey uh, in the real world. So Hori and I got together and we, we founded Cindy Health in October of 2020. And yes, yeah, two years in now, no shortage of learnings again. And uh, second time is a lot easier in many ways as a founder, but a uh, very different industry, very different products. So continuing to learn and to continue to grow. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for that. That is an amazing story. And um, what I really like about, I guess, your entrepreneurial view is it feels like both, you know, both the businesses that you've kind of been a part of so far that you started have been drawn from really personal experiences. Yeah, obviously with your 
developing a wearables business, you know, sister being an amputee, and then, you know, you haven't gone through your own personal situation with regards to uh, mental health and sort of addressing a business problem there. How important is it for you as an entrepreneur that you are, you know, I guess, personally attached to your business and and, and emotionally involved? And, and do you feel like it's really important that you, you feel like you're helping people in, in your business? Or you know, how, how important is that to you, I guess, as an entrepreneur? Very important. I think it doesn't have to be one or the other either. You can build an impactful business. It can also be a, a lucrative uh, and really yeah, high growth business, both for investors and, and yourself as a founder. But I think that aspect of yeah, having the, the, the personal connection or that that passion to, to make that change, I think it opens up a lot of doors. It's a lot easier to hire people to really share that maybe emotional connection with you, whether it's them having an experience themselves or a family member in mental health. It takes so many lives that it makes it quite easy to find people who really care about it. Um, and helpful to raise investments again with investors that have that connection or, or passion to make an impact uh, as well as sell the product. If you, if you care about it, if you truly believe in it, it can go a long way. And um, I think, yeah, having a building a company that I wasn't, personally attached to or didn't really have that passion to make the change and get it out there i I don't think i'd be as invested and the long days would be a lot tougher to get through yeah really i want to build a company and a product that it doesn't feel like work you you love it so much and you see the impact so often that you can get through the grind of a startup a lot easier with that in the back of your mind instead of doing something you don't really want to do for an industry that you don't really care that much about Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that because that that actually really resonates with with me personally, and and you know why I started um, True North, I guess because you know I think we spoke about it before. My my background was spent ten years at another company, um, and when I left that company, I was really quite disenamored with with recruitment as an industry. You know, I just I thought it was all about you know making money for the sake of making money, and there was no overall focus on fulfillment or growth or development or actually just enjoying your life with you know what you're what you're making the money for and uh i really wanted to get away from that and and i i left that job and ended up um interviewing lots of other companies offered lots of other roles but actually with a lot of them it felt like i was really just jumping out of the frying pan into the fire and and you know kind of replicating the same kind of issue and uh so i took four months out myself just to think actually do i want to stay in recruitment do i really want to do this because the one thing I, I personally felt was off the back of my uh, my my ten years in my previous company is my own personal health had taken a, a real knockback as well, and I wanted to build a business that actually I could feel like sustainably be a part of for the for the next ten years moving forward. And and I realised actually I I did enjoy recruitment. You know, that time out to sort of reflect. I did enjoy lots of parts of the job, but I just really wanted to fundamentally change the angle on you know. I wanted to be more about people you know, and less about the money. And I, and I believe that you can have a really lucrative business. This is more of a sustainable business that if you just focus on actually, you know, and it sounds cheesy, but genuinely our mission, what I want the business to stand for is to help people be happy at work because I know firsthand, you know, how much you know, work can have a real detrimental impact on, on mental health. So mm-hmm. um, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, to actually really, believe in your business you've got to be emotionally engaged in it and, and bought into the mission and um yeah the helping people element of things to me really really rings true um mm-hmm. 
why out of interest i guess you've obviously touched on it a little bit with your own personal uh journey but why did you choose to start with uh, kind of mental health services mm-hmm. I guess, versus you know you could be helping other people in in lots of other areas of, of healthcare. Um, so what was what was sort of most poignant to you about um, tackling the mental health situation? Yeah, mental health is very much the, the starting point for Cindy. And we started there because of one of our personal experiences. We were frustrated going through this problem ourselves. We that founder by experience. We thought that's the best place to start. And also the market is the most flooded and overwhelmed in mental health. There's over 30,000 well-being apps, telemedicine services, digital therapeutics now on the market. And it's the worst of the worst of, of the, the chaos out there. Um, MSK, diabetes, chronic conditions, men's, women, um, specific health, they're starting to be more um, flooded in, in that capacity. But the customers that we have, there's direct corporates, the insurers, the employee uh, assistance programs, their kind of budget and focus has been on mental health as well. We thought that's a good place to start and then branch out from there. Um, so kind of going up the value chain in terms of customers and segments, but also expanding them into other clinical areas. So the plan is to continue to focus on mental health for the immediate future, but build those foundations for expansion out. And with mental health, it, it's not a singular kind of isolated um, area. If you're made it, if you're waiting 12 months for um, physio, your mental health is going to decline as well. If you're going through a very difficult chronic condition, your mental health is going to decline as well. So really the aspect of comorbidities is something that really excites us and linking all these pieces together into one platform, one service that can support your health in a holistic way. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I totally agree with you. And I think that there's obviously lots of different contributing factors that, that, that will impact, you know, either negatively or positively on someone's mental health. But I think that it feels particularly poignant, you know, what Cindy Health is doing in the world we live in now right because i guess we've we've all gone through a couple of pretty terrible years with the pandemic and then you know obviously the horrific war in ukraine and then all of the political uncertainty and you know the recession that's on the horizon all that kind of stuff and just feels like there's a yeah we're living in a time where there's a lot of stuff out there that kind of on a global level that can really have an impact on on someone's mental health and uh it's it's great to hear that companies are actually taking note of that and actually really looking to find a way to monitor it and, and kind of build on that. And, and how do you, how do you feel, you know, kind of having been through your own personal journey, I think there have been big strides forward in kind of raising awareness around mental health generally and tackling it as an issue and sort of removing mm-hmm. that um, stigma, I guess, as, as it being a bit of a, a taboo subject, but how do you feel, society is kind of viewed in in you know how do they view mental health today Mm -hmm. it's changing for the best i think to take the uk compared to where i grew up up in canada it is quite different i think north america in general it's a bit more open people talk about it like going to the gym i'm seeing my therapist once a week and it's not as stigmatized for that i think yeah the, the landscape here it is changing definitely for the best i think COVID it was terrible for a lot of reasons, but positively impactful in one, showing people that you can get care virtually and you can trust these things. But two, people started talking about their mental health a lot more when everyone was going through the very similar difficult isolation at the same time, it became more of a conversation to have. So I think the last few years, it's it's really changed and it continues to change, but there's still a lot of work to do around that 
mindset of it's more like fitness. It's mental fitness and you don't need to get health care when you really need it. But if you be more preventative, you could capture these things earlier and prevent them from becoming bigger issues. And with the state of the backlogs and the public health services, I think that's the mindset that has to be had that if we're, yeah, mental health and a crisis service, whether health care, things need to change, get people help sooner, the most effective services at the first time. But to do that, people need to be open to talking about it, open to accessing things. And I think that starts with the the people at the top, whether it's the employers uh, or the kind of insurers. If you talk about this in a way that is more open and acceptable, people will be more likely to access things before they really, really need it and the costs go way up. Yeah. So lots of work to be done still, but it's heading in the right direction for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's people knowing that there are things they can access as well, right? And knowing that the solutions out there. Because I mean, I I I personally class myself as somebody that I think is relatively aware of kind of my own mm-hmm. mental health. You know, having been through what I feel I've been through in the last few years. Um, but there are still times where you know I feel like it's just better to bottle stuff up and not talk about it. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I won't sort of proactively go out my way to to find a solution maybe to to solve that problem but um but I do feel that yeah that I think your point that you made around COVID obviously being really positive from a you know changing that paradigm around uh people being able to digitally access uh healthcare mm-hmm. I think it's really important because I say there's a lot of bad stuff that's come from the back of of COVID but actually a lot of really quite positive transformational stuff around you know people being able to work remotely you know interact remotely and, and access services remotely as well um so i think that's uh, that's a really good point and you know people are aware that that solutions like cindy health do exist um then obviously people can be um you know maybe a little bit more empowered to to, to do something about it and not feel like they've got to go and see somebody maybe and you know it, it sort of feels maybe a little bit more accessible and it can be done from from your own home um exactly so I guess with that in mind, where do you where do you kind of feel um, the digital health industry is is headed, and you know what do you feel are kind of some of the biggest trends that you're you're seeing out there? Yeah, so a few different things. There's the the level of services. So there's the well being apps that really started B two C and are moving more B two B, but also getting more clinical and the more digital therapeutics, the prescription digital services coming out there. Um, but overall in this market, it, it's like it's been so overwhelmed that it's not sustainable. Whether it's companies that just can't prove their business model and can't get funding, maybe they'll um, fall away or there'll be acquisitions from the bigger to try and consolidate it down. But something has to change because whether it's the end users being patients or employees or members, they don't know where to look and what's right for them. Um, the actual organizations that are trying to pay for these licenses and offer these, they don't know what to pick. And then into the more clinical pathways, again, they don't know what to reimburse. And the digital health services, they don't know who to target, who is their service best suited for. So there needs to be really this consolidation back to something that's just understandable. So we've seen a lot of obviously acquisitions in the space and, and more people like us coming up who are more the aggregator, the infrastructure between the organization, their people, and the digital health services. Mm-hmm. I think the really exciting thing for us is, is the way these are I guess mental health services being measured, but also just mental health data, the the real world impact starting to take into account. Okay, in a trial, it worked like this for these people, but in the real world, this is actually how it's utilized and this is actually how it's it's benefiting people. And changing that aspect or changing that viewpoint of 
getting approval and now it's good to go. Now it can be given to anyone into, okay, they've had a trial for this, but that was with adults. Now it's being given to kids. Is it actually proven for them? And if they're at this level of, of severity or have they have this kind of comorbidity or background, is this actually the most impactful thing for them? So a lot niche or kind of targeting down where even therapeutic services, it can be say religion-based, language-based, sexuality-based services, um, different clinical grades. So the more well-being, the more fitness of your mind, and then more into the say mild to moderate services, then into the crisis services, the severe disorders, there isn't a one size fits all for everything. Um, and I think that's why the market has been crowded uh, as well. People are trying to throw things at every single point, but there's going to be consolidation down. And what we want to help with is really put those buckets together of what services, for what people, with what background, for what areas. So it's finally the point yeah, where there's enough things on the market, enough good things on the market, but we need to bring it back down to something that's understandable. And the whole measurement piece, a lot of research is going into using other data points to, to measure mental health, whether that's passive data from smartphones like GPS, accelerometry, even Bluetooth, Wi-Fi connections. Are you leaving your house or not? Are you walking or not? There's lots to be done around that space. I think it's a few years away still, but instead of just doing these active self-reported measurements and surveys, utilizing more information that we have to, to better judge effectiveness, but also to better recognize that those people are in need or they need something and need to change their behavior or need to be offered something else mm. um, and linking that all into one platform is what really excites us that kind of real-time recommendation of what is best for your health based on previous similar people's data is yeah. really where we want to get to yeah absolutely yeah that's it must be really um fulfilling knowing that like i said it's a lot of work i can imagine it's that's going to be so many different factors and variables to take into play there but it must be quite exciting to also think that actually you know, based off like smartphone data and, and things like that, there is actually a lot of predict, really positive sort of predictive work that can be done. It doesn't feel like it's too far away in terms of actually being able to get the right data and access the right data to really give a pretty good read on some of the things that could actually have quite a big impact on on somebody's mental health. Like say, even just as far as like, is somebody like getting out and doing 20 minutes of exercise every day, like walking every day? Because if they're not, you know, that in itself, people just don't realise has a huge impact on, you know, your kind of natural endorphins, doesn't it? And things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah that's really cool so what what would you say then has been your kind of biggest challenges that you've you've faced as a startup in this space mm. so far i'm sure there's been many but in terms of the uh mm. you know the, the the sort of the bigger ones uh what, what would you say they've been yeah no shortage of challenges i think if there weren't challenges then we wouldn't be pushing ourselves and pushing our team and ourselves as founders as hard as we can and definitely the the biggest challenge I've seen in both my founding experiences is people, whether it's internally and the people you work with and figuring out what motivates them and how do you keep them aligned when things can change so rapidly in a startup, it's really difficult to to keep everyone heading towards that same North star, but mm. keep everyone motivated in the way that they need to be motivated, whether that is impact or as employees, is it financial? Uh, and if it's customers, what, motivates them to buy what motivates partners to work with you and in mental health there's so many different aspects to it and so many different experience people had it people are so diverse and mental health is so broad that figuring out those things really what motivates people how do you get people aligned on that same mission and if that mission changes a bit is that still something they're interested in is that still the vision that we have for the company 
So continuing to, to change the product product rapidly, but stay true to that mission, I think is really, really in- interesting and have the right people around us and with us. And um, not everyone's made for startups either. Uh, it's a very high stress environment, pretty un- unstable. Um, it, I love it because, yeah, it, every day is different. Every day is exciting, but some people might not be suitable for them and, and that's okay. So it's, it's trying to figure out, yeah, who, yeah, one really ha- has that shared mission with us if they want to work with us or if they want to buy from us um but yeah really how how do you get that across and get the right people around you when when things can change so fast and um taking those learnings and those challenges accepting them looking at them but then having that kind of memory of a goldfish where you forget about it and you move on i think is really important and you can't dwell on the difficult things and Every day is an up, and some days are you know, down the next. But mm. as long as there's more good days than bad, I think we can all keep moving together. So really, the continued thing is that people, um, and we've been really lucky to have a great group of people around us. Um, but keeping them motivated, not burning ourselves out. We're a mental health company, and me and my founder, we know we work too much, and we try to find that balance with our, our families and our partners and fitness. But um, end of the day, we're, we're still founders, so it's finding that balance of motivating ourselves, keeping ourselves healthy and keeping the team motivated. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I massively relate to that as well, just personally in terms of that that sort of balance piece because, again, similarly, a large portion of my motivation to start the business was to actually get a better balance, mm-hmm. you know, work-life balance uh, from what I had. And, and was it um, maybe not work-life balance, but maybe just actually being able to see my family and like, my daughters. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was kind of doing the classic, you know, um, five days a week up in town, 12, 13 hours a day, and just, just missing out mm. on chunks of my my daughter's life. And so, you know, that's one thing I'm really pleased that I've been able to address with kind of starting my business. Um, but I, I I really like the point you made there about in a startup, and, and I totally agree with this as well, in a startup company, things change so rapidly that, you know, you can go in this direction in six months' time. Actually, you're, you're a totally different business. But knowing that sort of north star you know getting everybody pulling towards the north star i think that's so key isn't it to sort of have that sort of permeate throughout everything that you do in the business that there's actually a central purpose or a, a central sort of driving mission behind everything you're doing because the means and the ways that you you go about doing it in a in a business can change very very rapidly um but actually just you know making sure everybody still knows what that mission is and still bought into it still engaged in it totally and i also agree with you that you know not everybody is cut out for a startup business in the day you've got you can't afford unfortunately sort of carry the wrong people for too long because you don't have that you know that luxury really where a lot of maybe bigger businesses do so you kind of put have to put a bit more emphasis on on the individual to actually be part of the solution as well isn't it if they're really bought into it sort of be part of that um so yeah some great points so i guess you've been been a kind of a serial entrepreneur now i think you know multiple ventures classifies anyone as a a serial so that's that's good to good to say um so what do you what do you feel have been uh your your greatest challenges greatest uh, key learns i suppose along the way Mm. what's kind of the key key um thing you think you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. a few different things i think on one side keeping it simple just trying not to force really innovative tech into the wrong places and i've seen a lot of companies where it's say the phds research and then they will start a company around that and have the tech to solve a problem whereas 
we really look at it as the customers and the users we're building for them and they should tell us what to make. And we, we hold those, yeah, kind of ideas very loosely where it can change so quickly. And I think if you're trying to force something into a, a tech solution, into a problem, it's not going to go well because you don't know, have enough information when you start. And the way we look at it is keep it very simple to start, get enough feedback that you can keep iterating. But if you try to pull in way too much tech at the start, you'll just overwhelm everyone and confuse everyone. And our, our platform is quite complicated. There's various stakeholders and lots of things that we can do and ways we can innovate out and out. But if you go too heavy at the start, you'll yeah lose the p- people that you're trying to engage with very quickly. Uh, you might confuse your own team. And obviously when you speak to investors and come at them with AI this and all that, and we're using passive digital phenotyping data, it can be quite complicated. So we really try and simplify what we're doing and how we're talking about it and really be flexible in, in how we do that. Um, again, not something we researched for four years and said, this is going to be a company to solve this problem. We had the problem. We thought, let's build a solution. Similar to my previous company, we knew prosthetics were outdated and expensive and uncomfortable and tough to access. So we started talking to as many people as we could and really figure out what they wanted. They wanted comfort. They wanted accessibility. They wanted to get it in two days instead of waiting for two months, even if it was free, they're willing to pay out of pocket to get something quicker that's more suitable for them. And if you go in with that closed mindset, of this is the solution for this problem. I don't think you can do that. And again, we can paint the bigger vision of what we want to add in and when to solve these next kind of challenges, but really taking it in bite-sized chunks. This is what we're doing now with this product for these people and then innovating from there. And once you're in the pathways, once you're in the, the kind of customer channels, it's a lot easier to add features and expand when you're getting more feedback. But if you go in too hard at the start, I think you're just setting yourself up to yeah, really hit some barriers. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think your, your point about keeping it simple, I think at the beginning is is absolutely key because, I mean, obviously, we knows that tech is the the way a lot of software is built and obviously how it's going to change, um, you know, or solve lots of problems, but like you say, keeping investors and stakeholders engaged and like say the rest of the team engaged and it can't, can't be too far into that every day, all day, you know, sort of lose sight on the problem that you're solving in the first place. Yeah. I mm-hmm. t- totally agree with that. And, uh, and also like you say, understanding the problem from the, the customer's point of view, I think is, is absolutely key and where, in my opinion, a lot of uh, startup companies definitely fall afoul is they kind of we're building this and this is what we do without the kind of pivoting mindset of well actually yeah. if this isn't kind of solving the problem, then we need to pivot into something else, which obviously is always painful and no one likes change. But I guess that's probably the biggest learning curve that you know, I've certainly had and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have is you know you've got to get comfortable with change right because it's just you never know what's going to happen what's around the corner so you've got to be prepared to pivot when when needs to pivot um so uh, mm-hmm. yeah perfect okay great well um i think it's been a fantastic episode and really enjoyed speaking to you and uh, uh hearing your story and just really impressed with the work you're doing at cindy health and uh i think you're onto a really big thing and wish you all the very best success for the future and uh thank you very much I uh, always like to end my uh, my podcast just by uh, 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 an idea I nicked off uh, Richard Reed, who's uh, the guy who started the Innocent Smoothies um, brand. And he went around and asked a load of famous people kind of their, their one kind of favorite piece of advice. So I guess I'll, I'll do the same with you if that's OK. Um, so, yeah, what, what's your kind of 
your, your favorite piece of advice for your uh your your, your fellow person or, or the best piece of advice you've ever received it didn't feel like the best at the time when i was working in the oil sands and doing a job i didn't like and had bigger aspirations in different places but they always used to say measure twice cut once and I've come across this so many times in the past five years where you're not actually cutting anything, but you think of that and you're just not cutting corners. You're doing things the right way, whether that's quality or just professionalism or just respect. And the way we look at it at Cindy, it's kind of with QA, with quality assurance and bugs and this product that we have, it can impact people's lives. And if it doesn't go right, it, it could hurt them. So you have to be extra careful and take your time and just, measure twice, think twice, cut once, deploy once, send that email once. So it's, it's really that having that yeah level of kind of passion, but just awareness and care. If you don't care about something, you can cut corners, you can hurt people, you can do bad things, you can yeah really destroy your reputation as a founder, as a company, as a, as a product manufacturer. And I think in a startup, things can move so fast. And you think, oh, I can't check this twice or I can't measure twice. I got to get this done. But there's some things that you have to take that time. You have to think about it. You have to care enough about it and think of the impacts of if I cut this wrong, if I, if I do this thing wrong, what does it mean? So something I've been yeah, saying for a few years and trying to instill into the team here that, yeah, not always about measuring, but just have that passion have that level of, of care of what you're deploying what you're putting out there who you're talking to and how you're speaking to them that i think it takes years to build a reputation not to build a product and then seconds to break that trust so taking the time measure twice cut once that was that was a good one from many years ago I, I didn't see the the impact in the wider world at the time but i yeah thought about it a lot yeah i mean that's that's, that's a cracker i like that one i think it's so so um transferable isn't it into so many different ways so physically and metaphorically um so i think that's, yeah. that's a really really good one and i guess it's that especially like saying the health tech space you know any action you can have can have a real tangible either benefit or detriment to you know your your uh end customer which is you know something in the health tech space it's obviously very very important um but it is that it's like we said that balancing act isn't it between being thorough but also being able to pivot in the in the right way mm-hmm. and quickly and adapt, and it's it's finding that sort of sweet spot in the middle of being able to make sure you're doing both those things, which of course is is not easy. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. But um, but no, I think that's that's really uh, really good bit of advice. So uh, perfect. Okay, well, yeah, all all that remains then is for me to say thanks very much for uh, taking the time to have a chat with us today, and um, yeah, really enjoyed speaking with you, and uh, wish you all the very best with the uh, the ongoing. Uh, success of, of Cindy and I'm sure you'll uh, you'll go on to achieve even bigger and better things. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Take care. Bye for now.